All of us like to be encouraged. Isn't that right? It's wonderful for somebody for someone to tell you, you've done a good job. That, that dress looks nice. That suit looks nice. Uh, I like your hair. Um, whatever. All of us, we enjoy being encouraged. But sometimes truth is a little better. How many of you have looked at somebody and said, somebody lied to you? <laughs> right? We were, Laura and I, we were over in Amish country. And man, we went into this restaurant. And I'm just telling you, I've never seen so many odd people in my life. And we're just standing there. It, listen, and not in a judgmental way. It was just they, they'd one after another and you're just, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And you're thinking, you need a friend who can tell you, you know what? Maybe it would be better if you didn't wear that. How many of you ever understand what I'm, saying, what I'm talking about here, right? That's kind of what the Bible is doing for us here today. Aren't you glad for the encouragement the Scriptures give us? Uh, I like this. Most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's encouraging, isn't it? Isn't that encouraging? Um, this verse today is not so encouraging. Let's look at it. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. Uh, again, if you're new with us, we preach through the Bible. So we study through the Bible, through different books of the Bible. We're going through the book of Galatians. This is the verse that we have come to today. And so let's just read this on its own. For if a man thinketh himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. For when a man thinketh, for if a man thinketh, ah, uh, for if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to understand your word today. And uh, Lord, help us not to sugarcoat it. Help us not to try and explain away your truth. Help us to submit to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is a negative message in the middle of an encouraging one. Look at verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Look at verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As ye have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You see, there's encouragement all in there. But right in the middle of it, it says this, verse 3, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Boy, that's appropriate politically right now, isn't it? Let him that is taught in the Word, communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Here's my message today. The gift of clear thinking. The gift of clear thinking. You know, it is a good thing to be corrected. 
when you're thinking improperly about something, when you're doing something that's wrong, it's good to be corrected. I was working on a car uh, when I was a kid, and I had, I think I was changing the starter on this old car. Well, it was an old car then, but I was changing the starter on the car. And my dad came out in the garage, and I had the battery sitting on the concrete floor. So what do you think my dad told me to do? Put it on a piece of wood. Put a block of wood under that. Don't put the battery on the floor. Why? Drains the charge out of it. Don't put it on the concrete. Now, how many of you think that was a good thing for a young man to learn? How many of you actually learned that just now? First time. Yeah. Amen. It's good to know. Mackenzie, now you know when you change a starter. Don't put the battery on the, on the cement. Tony, she knows it now. Amen. <laughs> that's, that's good. Correction is good. Um, I'll often see a guy, and so I've got three buttons on my coat, and I've seen guys like this. How many of you ever seen somebody walking down the street kind of like that? Here, let me get up here so you can see it. That's wrong. You're not supposed to do it. A, a, a gentleman either buttons the middle button or the top button, but not the bottom button. You never button the bottom button on a suit coat. What am I doing? I'm helping you. I'm correcting you. How many of you really don't care about that particular rule of <laughs> sartorial splendor? Okay. Um, those, those are th- you know, you're never supposed to wear a button-down shirt with a double-breasted jacket. You see the things you learn at Grace Baptist Church? I'm going to help you today. This is what we're supposed to do. And never wear blue suede shoes. No, anyway, I just... (laughs) Actually, I saw a pair of blue suede shoes the other day. I thought, I think they look pretty good on me. How many of you think I need to be corrected? Yes, yes. Correction's a good thing. It helps us. Correction does not hurt us if it's coming from someone that loves us and cares about us. Right? We can be corrected by people who don't care about us, and it can, just, it can just seem like abuse. So the idea here, the context, is if we're going to help someone who's overtaken in a fault, then we've got to be spiritual. And then we ask the question, who's spiritual? Well, only people who have been born again. You've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life. And we'll talk about that some more in a minute. So, we can never move forward... By listening to platitudes. You know, there are parents all over the world that think their three-year-old's a genius. Is that right? It's just amazing how many people... You know, their child says, Dada, at 14, and he's amazing! Well, platitudes. I'm glad that my mom was encouraging. And I've told you this. My mom was really positive. If the house was burning down, she'd say, Let's get marshmallows. Mom was real positive. And one time she saw his kids getting ready for church. And she said, when you kids walk into a room, you just shine. Isn't that sweet? I was thinking maybe I need to towel off or something. I wasn't sure. Mom was encouraging. Now look, from a mom, that was very helpful for us. It gave us confidence. Dad helped us to understand reality. Encouragement is wonderful. Reality is also. And that's what this text gives us. You know, all of Christianity, so much, if you go to the Christian bookstore, your best life now. You're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. No, we're really not. We're really not. So those platitudes are more harmful 
than helpful. Does that make sense? Uh, so, we could illustrate that in many different ways. But clear, honest evaluation is vital to our service for the Lord. Clear, honest evaluation is vital for our service to our service for the Lord. Uh, when I was in college, um, I was studying secondary education. We had a class called Tests and Measures. Tests and Measures. And the purpose for testing is to find out where that child is, what they understand, what they have learned, uh, what they still need to learn. And then you also learn through testing. When you give a young person a test, and then they take the test, and then you grade the test, they're learning what those answers are. It's a reinforcement of the information. They're learning what's wrong. They're learning what's right. An evaluation that doesn't give a proper answer is not helpful. It's okay to grade on a curve if the kids understand that it's a curve and that the answer is either right or wrong. Is that right? You all agree with that? How many of you hate curves? You don't think that we ought to grade on a curve. How many of you praise the Lord for curves? You got through school. Amen. All right. Now, remember when you were in college? Some of you experienced this. And you got a C on your test. But you knew he was going to grade on a curve. Then, you know, Poindexter Pointhead got like a 98. And so, you know, you're done. The curve's just blown up right there. You're just through. Do you know who sets the curve for us in this context? Jesus Christ. The Bible says, And some are of the number comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. If we're going to compare ourselves and understand verse 3, if we're going to understand this, we have to understand the competition is not the person sitting next to you or the person who doesn't go to church. The competition is Jesus Christ. That's the context. Jesus Christ is holy. He's righteous. So let's get an understanding of this. The gift of clear thinking. Number one, clear thinking about myself. Clear thinking about myself. Verse 3, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing... He deceiveth himself. So I got to think. I got to think right about me. I got to think right about me. This is very important. Uh, you know, a man's got to know his limitations. Is that right? Got to know what you can do. Got to know what you can't do. You have to understand it. Last year at man camp, they had the red man suit, and I fought Wade. And I got done. And first of all, he about broke my neck. I went in low, and he picked me up by the head like this. I couldn't turn my head for about two days. But I got done and I said, man, that was rough. And Josh Divin said, that's why we have the CCW class. <laughs> why? A man's got to know his limitations. You got to know what you can handle and what you can't handle. Is that right? Very important that we understand this. I need clear thinking about myself. The context here is ye that are spiritual. I got to have clear understanding of myself. So what does this mean? When it says that we're nothing... Now, I know that that really violates the self-esteem culture that we have now. Because when I stand up here in church and I read this verse, that's very offensive to people. What do you mean I'm nothing? What? Who are you to say? I'm not anybody. I'm just reading the verse. Is that right? It says, If a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So what's the context here? Well, what do we have to offer God that He needs? Nothing. What does God need from me? Nothing. Nothing. One man said this. 
To admit the existence of a need in God is to admit incompleteness in the divine being. Need is a creature word and cannot be spoken of the Creator. God has a voluntary relation to everything He has made, but He has no necessary relation to anything outside of Himself. His interest in His creatures arises from His sovereign good pleasure, not from any need those creatures can supply, nor from any completeness they can bring to Him who is complete in Himself. Isn't that good? This is what we have to get. Some of you are looking at me like you're really scared. Listen, God doesn't need anything from you. He is complete, but He's chosen to love you. He's chosen to place value in you. He's chosen to care for you. He's chosen to gift you, to give you abilities. He's chosen because of His own love to do that for you. But you have to understand, according to the Word of God, we're still nothing. Can, can we check this out? I, I got a clear thinking about myself. Um, look with me at uh, John 15. John 15. How many believe every word of God? Yeah, we do here at Grace Baptist Church. We, we believe every word of God. Um, let's see if we believe this. John 15 to Jesus Christ speaking. He says this. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth fruit. Go to verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you're awesome. You can have your best life now. You're a winner. Because we're all winners. Wait a minute. I, I, sorry, I sorry. Let me read it. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. That's it. How many of you believe that's true? You really believe that's true from the Word of God. But because we're people, because we um, we have abilities to do things that we had before we knew God, sometimes we forget where those abilities come from. You see. Christian or not, saved, born again or not, every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights. In whom is no... What's the next word? What is it? What is it? Variableness or shadow of turning. He's not going to be cha- he's not going to be changed but he's going to give us gifts. The Bible says the sun shines on the wicked and on the good. So we just need to be reminded that without him we can do nothing. We can get so lifted up in pride about how good we are. You know, we worship people that can put a ball through a hoop. It doesn't matter that they're whoremongers or whatever. Right? We're just going to 
These are great people, and we worship physical ability. And yet, the, the person that is investing in lives through the Word of God, that person in our culture it's, is very diminished. On television, what's the preacher usually like on television? Some wild-eyed crazy guy that's going to be an axe murderer or something. Is that right? That's what, that's what the minister of the gospel or the believer. Usually if there's a person that's some kind of sicko, their parents were Bible believers. Is that right? That's what the world has. We need to understand scripturally and in reality that without Christ, without the Lord, without His giftedness, we can do nothing. Look at 1 Corinthians. No, let's skip that one. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It's been said that clear speech is easily understood. Clear speech is easily understood. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. I see Eric is back there. Aaron's probably working. Eric's a funeral director. Do you have really good conversations? (laughs) with the the dead people. And if you do, they're one way. Is that right? And when I was in high school, I worked on the grounds of a funeral home. And I said uh, to the funeral director, I said, have you ever had one sit up and talk to you? He said, if I did, it would be the last one. <laughs> um, now, I say this at our Christian funerals. Um, the reason we take such care at a Christian funeral is because Jesus Christ is coming back for that body. Amen? But that person, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's no knowledge, there's no wisdom, there's nothing in the grave. There's nothing there. No signs of life, there's no breath, there's no thought, there's no future in death. What's the future? The resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ. That's where the future comes, is that right? So here Jesus Christ says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. But He quickened you. He made you alive. And you hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is what we need to understand. Every person, and it, I, I don't know who's, who's visiting, who's not. I don't know what your theological background is, all of those things. So, a couple of foundational things. Number one, we're all people. Right? Red and yellow, black and white, they're all are precious in His sight. There's no difference. There's no difference in race. No difference at all for the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that right? There's no difference in the New Testament church. There's no difference. Complete equality. And you know what that equality is? We all deserve hell. Here's what the Bible says. There is none righteous, no, not one. None. That's why Jesus Christ had to come and die on the cross. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is that what the Bible says? What does that mean? It means we can't reach God's standard of perfection. We can't reach it. It would be like this. If we all went down to the Miami River and we all decided we're going to jump across the Miami River. How many of you think that would be kind of dumb? 
But let's say we're going to try it. We're going to go down there. Well, some of these young guys, they're going to make it farther than us old fogies would. But none of us are going to make it all the way across. That's the idea of righteousness. How many of you know somebody, and you would say this, they're not a Christian, but, but, but they're good people. You heard somebody say something like that. And I understand what you're saying. But the simple fact is, the Bible says there's none that doeth good. We're all sinners. That's what sin is. Sin is any transgression of the law. That's what the Bible says in 1 John. Sin is any transgression of the law. So when the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that means we can't reach God's standard of perfection. No one can. That's why Jesus Christ came. It says it this way. This is in the book of Romans. But God commendeth, He showed His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is that a great thing? He died on the cross because we're sinners. And so we can have eternal life. It says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. How do we get that life? How do we get that? The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You get that eternal life. You don't get that eternal life by being baptized. You don't get that eternal life through a baby dedication like we just did. You don't get that eternal life by being a good person, by paying your taxes, by being a good mom or a good dad, by being a member of a particular church. None of that gives you eternal life. What gives you eternal life? It's a gift. Here's what the Bible says. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How do you get this gift? You just have to receive it. I've got this pen. It's a really nice pen I got while I was in Colorado. It actually, it's made of wood, but it has turquoise embedded in it. Is that cool? I like that. So I'm going to make this a gift. No, this is just an illustration, okay? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make this a gift to Chad. So if, I'm going to give this to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it. It's a gift. Now, in order to keep that, you've got to wash my car every week for the next five years. <laughs> a pen's not worth that, is it? What's the distinction? A gift you receive freely. If you had to wash my car to keep it, that's not a gift. That's something that you earn. Is that right? The Bible says salvation is a gift, and we receive that gift. You just receive it. How do you receive it? Turn your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9. Romans Romans chapter 10. And look at verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what does this mean? Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That is, what that means is, very simply, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That is, that you say, Lord, I believe that you are God, that you're the Son of God, that you were born of a virgin, that you lived a sinless life and you died on the cross to pay for my sin, and you rose from the dead. 
That's that's you're confessing that and you believe it in your heart. It's not just something that you say like abracadabra and the rock moves away from the treasure. All right. It's it's you believe in your heart. You believe who Jesus Christ is, that what he promised in the Bible is true. If you believe that you'll be saved. That's what salvation is. That's it. You don't add to it. You don't take from it. Now, should a person who's saved, should they live right? Does that living right save them? No. Jesus Christ saves us. That's what salvation is. I, I, I need clear thinking about myself. I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. And here's the thing for believers, those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Christ. After you're saved, please don't miss this. You're still nothing. But you're nothing that Jesus Christ has invested in. He loves you so much. When we start to think we're something, then the grace aspect starts to fall away. You know what? I did deserve this. I am pretty good. I'm awesome. No, no, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. He loved me so much. He wanted to save me. Do you know what that helps me do? When Nick messes up, it helps me to go to him humbly and meekly, realizing I could be the next one to mess up. Hey, buddy, come on. Let's let's look at the scriptures. Let's walk through this together. Let me help you. Is that right? That's the idea of the text. We can't let ourselves be, get this inflated opinion of ourselves. I need clear thinking about myself. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.